My name is Anthony James, and I love the German Netflix show Dark. I love it so much that I started a YouTube channel to talk about it. From the start, I've been told that the Dark Train won't last forever, and if I want to continue to grow on YouTube, I need to move on. Well, you know what? I don't want to move on. This show is worth more. It's worth more theories, more analysis, deconstruction, and discussion. So if you're not ready to move on either, then you're in the right place, right here on Dark Discussions. Hello, and welcome to Dark Discussions. I'm your host, Origin Anthony James. Thanks for joining me. This week, you voted for a character study of the one and only white devil, Claudia Tiedemann. I couldn't be more excited. She is my favorite character in the show. I think I'm going to say that. Hand on heart, favorite character in the show. I'm just going to say that from now on. She is my favorite. It was, I always used to say she's one of my favorite, but no, she's my favorite. So we're doing a character study today. That's what you voted for. If you want to vote on this week's poll, go to my Twitter, at HeyAnthonyJames, and you can decide what we do next week. There's a load of good stuff on there. I'll cover that at the end of the video. This, this episode today, we are going to have uh, a few different packages, video packages that I've put together to go through different aspects of Claudia. Uh, as well as we're going to go through your uh, comments from, la from last week's video, as we always do. So stick around if you want to find out why I think Claudia has two different color eyes. Before you do that, though, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Every Tuesday, there's a new episode of Dark Discussions. You get to vote. Join the discussion. You choose what we do. Every Monday and Friday, I release a podcast with my friend Conrad, where we go through Dark one episode at a time. We're currently going through Dark. We're halfway through Season 2. We're starting to think about what TV show we're going to do next. You need to think to yourselves, do I want to be an Anthony? I've seen the show. Or do I want to be a Conrad? Not haven't seen the show, and you can theorize in the comments. So think about what you want to be for the next. So when I announce what the next TV show is going to be, you can either watch it, or you can wait and watch it one at a time with us. So you, you decide that. As well as that, every Thursday I release a review or a video essay, something along those lines, every single Thursday that isn't about dark. And also, starting now on Saturdays, I have a uh, podcast going up on Saturdays. It's not really a podcast, more of a discussion video with my friend Emmett. And we are going through Star Trek Discovery one episode at a time. Okay, that's the end of my plugs. Let's get right into the first video package. We are first introduced to Claudia as a middle-aged woman who has very much put career above familial bonds. Therefore, although she's about to become the first female head of the power plant, she struggles to hold together her relationships with her daughter and her father. Ironically, it is these relationships that will come to define Claudia's trajectory through the story. In terms of Claudia's arc, the first season serves as somewhat of an origin story. In the 1950s, we are shown Claudia as a young high achiever who has aspirations of going to university, as well as the beginnings of her relationship with Tronta Nielsen. As a middle-aged woman, she's getting drip-fed information about time travel through a present from Helga and the return of her long-lost dog, Gretchen. Meanwhile, her absence in the 2019 timeline is both mysterious and ominous. When she finally does turn up, it only adds further questions and mystery. Where was she? Is she evil, as Noah says? The portrayal of the three Claudias in season one is interesting. She goes from a very sure of yourself, innocent young girl, to a confused and a little bit ignorant middle-aged woman, and then back to a sure of herself but reflective older woman. Her unsureness is bookended by self-confidence. Moving into the second season, Claudia becomes the audience's eyes by filling the fish-out-of-water role. 
allowing us at home to tumble down the rabbit hole, or rather, be whisked away in a hurricane along with her. Thanks to Conrad for pointing out that parallel, by the way. She is our surrogate to this crazy world that is time travel. Much like Jonas was in the first season, and Alt Marta is in the second season. On a side note, this is something Dark does brilliantly. The show focuses on characters who are new to time travel in each of the three seasons. This ensures that the audience is always in the, dare I say, dark. We had to piece together the puzzle along with the characters through which we were seeing the world. This approach ensures that the mystery is sustained, and it also means that when there are big reveals, it isn't just us who are in shock and awe, it's also the characters that are in shock and awe. In Killing Her Father, Claudia is forced to reconcile with the fact that time is predetermined. What will happen, has happened. This moment, as well as instilling in her a regret for neglecting those she loved, starts her journey of discovery. A journey which will eventually lead to her successfully finding a way to save her daughter Regina, who she has seen contracts cancer later in life. This panicked and frightened version of Claudia is in stark contrast to the portrayal of older Claudia in Season 2, who seems to be at peace. It's almost as if she knows how it all ends. Wink wink, nudge nudge. She travels through the different times completing what seems to be a checklist of activities, much like my granny would with a shopping list. The serene-like nature of this version of Claudia is in full display when she personally orchestrates the happenings that lead to her death, which she willingly accepts as a necessary link in the chain that will lead to Regina surviving. I could talk all day about the significance of the scene between Noah and Claudia in the woods, from the very overt references to the serpent and free will, to the fact that this scene is the impetus for Noah to begin his redemption arc and find out about Adam hiding the whereabouts of his daughter, Charlotte. But this isn't a Noah character study, so I won't get down that particular avenue of analysis. Not in this video anyway. Also, it's worth noting, I am purposely not paying too much attention to the triplet of scenes in Season 2 that we get three conversations between Claudia and Egon in a row. I plan on covering this in more detail in the future. For now, however, you can check out Conrad and I discussing it in the After Dark podcast episode 16. In season 3, in the 1950s, we come to learn more about Claudia's relationship with her mum, Doris. The relationship is mirrored with that of Claudia and Regina in the 80s. Like Regina, Claudia feels abandoned by her mother and not listened to. In context, it is very clear that Doris has let her relationship with her daughter deteriorate in favour of an affair with her great-great-granddaughter, which I'm sure Claudia has become aware of. For a child, however, all they care about is that their mother is paying less attention to them. Interestingly, although Claudia too has an affair, or I suppose she was the other woman in Tronta's affair, it isn't this that drives the wedge between her and Regina. It's Claudia's career above all else personality. So I suppose you could say Claudia's mistress is her career, and a cruel mistress it is. There's plenty more in Claudia's story that I could focus on, but for this segment of the video, I'll focus on one more thing, the reveal. In episode eight of season three, Claudia, in very Benoit Blanc fashion, reveals that there is a third world, the origin world. For the record, I'm officially throwing the whodunit genre into the debate about what genre dark truly is, coming soon to a Twitter poll near you. Now, I'm not gonna focus on how she realized there was an origin world or how many times she realized it. If you wanna watch that, go and watch my Ultimate Theory Revisited video. What I'm gonna do is talk about some of the larger themes at work here. If you watch my review from season three, you may have heard me say this. It would have been very easy for the creators to leave us with the message that our lives don't matter. 
and that all we are when we die is forgotten. But Dark doesn't say that. It stands boldly and says that it all is for something. It's all for the love of a father and a son. Our existences are not in vain because we bring love and joy to others. In this video, however, I'm going to go one step further. Claudia's story shows that just as important as H.G. Tannhaus's love for his son was, the love of a mother for her daughter was equally if not more important to achieve the ending we got. It is through this love for Regina that Claudia went on her journey. It is through this love for Regina that Claudia solved the puzzle. It is through this love for Regina that she was able to save Regina and therefore save H.G. Tannhaus's son, wife and child. In Dark, Father's love is matched only by mother's love. Like Adam and Eva were counterparts for one another, so too were Claudia and Tarnhaus, both seeking to establish a world where their child exists. The two most important relationships in Dark are HG and Marek and Claudia and Regina. Well, there might be one more. These two relationships are mirrored in their fractiousness. Both HG and Claudia are spurred on to save their children due to them realizing that they haven't been the most attentive to their children. They've been too interested in their work. In conclusion, Claudia is not only one of my favorite characters in Dark. In my opinion, she's one of the most competent, badass, interesting, well-built characters in TV history. But most importantly, she is cool. All right. For the rest of this first segment, I want to talk about Claudia, Regina, Bernd, and Tronte. So Tronte was actually thought by most of us to be Regina's father. For the longest, longest time, we thought that Tronte was, was the father, especially considering that Claudia and Tronte had an affair. Hell, even Tronte thought he was Regina's father. Now, this is something that I've talked about quite a bit, but I'm going to just touch upon it here because this is the Claudia character study episode, so I want to sort I want to get it in. I am under the impression that the fact that Burnt was Regina's father was heavily built. Now, it was heavily built very cleverly, so when we look back, it's very clear that that was going to happen, but I don't think anyone predicted that. And that's a, this, an example of long-form clues being laid. So, for example, the first clue, in my opinion, is the fact that they kept banging on about her being the first female uh, power plant, head of the power plant. And that was really something to me, because I think Tronta even said when in episode 3, season 1, when he was interviewing her, he even said, um, that's progressive, even for the 80s. So that's that always stuck out to me, that line. Now, the fact that we know that he went on... Uh, she, she went on to to uh, be the head of the power plant, but she'd also already had a relationship with Burnt. That makes sense to me more now. Now, again, I say this every time I say this. I'm not saying that Claudia didn't deserve the job. I'm not saying she's not competent enough. In fact, I actually believe the fact that Burnt was in a relationship with her means that he knew her intimately, and he he knew he could trust her. He knew she was capable. Um, and that's that's how I view it. I think Claudia was definitely worthy of the job, and uh, and be, the fact that she got to know Burnt so well personally. There, obviously, there's the thing in the back of people's minds. Like, there's been one or two comments on my channel saying they thought uh, Burnt was a big old perv. Okay, be that as it may, you know, maybe Claudia would have been in you know in her late twenties, early thirties, and Burnt would have been in his late fifties. Okay, that's fine. Legal, yes. Whatever, whatever you want to think of that. I know, I know some people who, who are in relationships like that, and they're very happy. 
Um, so I'm not one to judge. But at the same time, it's a fictional show. That's what they went with. So uh, Also, uh, there is the case of the uh, hotel. Regina's hotel was actually the Doppler mansion. Now, Helga doesn't have that. Uh, Regina has that. So that makes me think that at some point in Bernd's life, he found out about Helga not being his son. And he found out that Regina is his daughter. Now, he didn't stop treating Helga like a son. Like, we know he still talks about Helga when he, in his old age. So, But he clearly didn't give Helga the mansion. He gave Regina the mansion. Um, so that shows you that he did know eventually that, that, that uh, she is his, uh, his daughter. Okay? So that's really, really cool. I like the fact that Tronta believed as well that Regina was, was his daughter. Um, it really added like to our experience because we all assumed. Um, and if and if you want, it was a it, that was a full on bait and switch by the by the writers, because as long as we thought that Tronta was Regina's father, then we thought that Regina was mis mixed up in this whole weird family tree with incest. She would have been in the Nielsen family line, so which she couldn't have existed in an origin world, for example. Then without that, so we could never have figured it out, you know. So they were really clever. I don't. I don't think anyone in the world guessed that Burnt was uh, Regina's father. So without that piece of information, if you thought that Tronto was her father, then you would never have been able to come to the conclusion that Claudia did. And to be honest with you, that was a real bait and switch. But at the same time, we can still look back and say, "Oh yeah, there is actually evidence that Burnt was the father." So it's a weird one. It's a weird bait and switch that was actually set up. So we can't be too mad about it. Uh, but apart from that, uh, I thought that was great. I've got. Make sure you stick around to the last segment because you're going to find out why Claudia has two different color eyes. Stick around. Hey you, yeah you. Why don't you make a comment and join the conversation? So now we go to your comments from last week. Make sure you join the conversation and leave a comment under this video. You can comment on this video, or you can comment uh, about the topics of the poll, what you want to see next week. Okay? So, this first comment comes from Stuart Whiting. And Stuart says, RE Michael hanging himself in the day and night in different cycles. Oh yeah, I made that... I made that point that he hung himself once in the day and once in the night, so it might allude to each cycle being slightly different. I think Stuart's about to put me in my place. Uh... <laughs> It is not uh, what's shown unless I'm forgetting a scene. The first scene is the opening of season one, episode one. Yep. When we see him hang himself and there's sunlight coming through the, sun the skylights. Yep. This is also the same scene we see again at the opening of season three, episode eight. Correct. Yeah, I remember that as well. Obvious uh, enough in both cases. The contradictory scene in season two, episode six, which uh, when Jonas visits Michael and sets in emotion his suicide, but we don't see the suicide. He only he is only writing the letter at the, uh, in the scene at night on the 20th of June while it's raining. The suicide happens the next day on the 21st of June. Even though it is easy to imagine he immediately hung himself after writing the letter, it doesn't have to be the case and the cycle doesn't have to change. Uh, and he is in a se separate personal studio space, so we don't know exactly when he was found. Okay, yeah, you're exactly right, Stuart. I'm going to yield to you. Yield to you. You are exactly right. And that's something I really should have noticed myself. And I said to Stuart in the comments of that, of that, uh, that comment he left, you know, I replied to him and I said, maybe I should stop believing the things you say in the comments, guys, because I got that one off, I think one of my most popular videos, my 25 unanswered questions, whenever there was a load of people coming in, uh, it isn't the community that I've got now, but there was like hundreds, like thousands of people commenting. And I think I got it off one of them and I just assumed they were right. I was wrong to do that. 
Um, having said that, I trust you all. Um, so I trust Stuart here as well. It completely makes sense what he's saying. I need to make sure I'm backing things up, before, checking things before I put in the video. I'm not just going to believe YouTube comments anymore. Having said that, Stuart, I'll believe you. Right, next question. So, um, not question, sorry, comment. Jonathan uh, Kiff says, I think you tend to overlook one important thing about dubs, okay? Not only do they need to communicate the general meaning of the script, they also need to vaguely match the lip movements of the actors. This leads to occasional awkward phrasings and divergences from the exact meaning of the script. Another re reason why I always choose sub if it's available. Yeah, I yeah I do know that, and I and I you know, <laughs> uh, I, I I like I, I like anime and animes uh, and uh, Ghibli films as well. Those are definitely uh, type. Those are definitely medium that need to be translated. And I've seen the behind the scenes, and they they match it up for some reason, Jonathan. You're right in that I overlook it because my mind doesn't actually go that way for live action. So I don't know why, because because in a cartoon you can kind of make it look like it's the original language. Like when I when I was a kid, I watched Pokemon. I never would have guessed that it wasn't in English originally. Um, obviously, I knew because I knew it was Japanese, but I would have never guessed if you didn't tell me. Like it just because the, the the mouths are just moving like this. So in real life, in sort of real real life people's mouths, I never actually put together that they need to make them the right length of the sentence and everything. And it, to be even to be to be honest with you. Never, I've never looked out for that. I've never even checked to see if their mouths are moving at the right time. It makes complete sense, though. If you want to have an immersive experience, even when watching the dub, you would need to do that. So, Jonathan, you've sort of taken a load of the fun out of a lot of my dub bashing. I bash the dub a lot, especially on the podcast with Conrad. Um, but you know what? You're, I think you're right. But I, now I'm going to willfully ignore that so that I can continue bashing the dub. Thank you. Right, next comes from Franken Toaster Lover. Great name. Uh, Fracken, sorry, Fracken toasted lover, not Franken, Franken, Frankenstein toaster. Right, and now I'm not going to read this, but I, but I, but I remember what they said uh, because it's very important. And to be honest with you, it makes me look really silly. And I said in the comments last week, but isn't it a fun kind of silly? So I'm silly because <laughs> if Helen Albers it was bought was was only like 11 years old when when she was um that age i completely overlooked the idea that uh katarina would have to be older than she is she'd have to be in her late 20s early 30s at least if she was going to be uh produced through incest while helen was still very young so if helen was 16 17 she Katarina would already be in her 30s by the time 86 comes around. Now, the reason that's important to me is because it it op it does open up the idea. Like, I 100% still believe that Herman Elbers uh, abused Katarina. 100% still believe that. It's just that now we have to, like, if we believe that, and we do, because it is true, like, that's what they were doing in the show, um, we have to then be able to make the leap and say, well, he was abusing her in her late 20s. That's that's the fact, because um, when I said the dub might have been pointing to the fact that she was meant to be 33 or whatever, 33, 34, that wouldn't make sense because if she was only 33 or 34, then what's she doing being only 11 or 12 in like 54 or whatever it is? So it doesn't make sense dates wise. Um, I will say, I will say um, the dub argument of them changing doesn't fully go out the window. Um, and the reason for that is because 
season three comes after season two. And when they changed the line on the set that day, based on my theory from last week, they would have then remembered that they changed that line in the German version, the the version that counts. And then they would have sort of written the third series based on what they did in the second season, if you know what I mean. So if they knew they had an older woman, then, I don't know. To be honest with you, I'm even messing myself up thinking about it. The fact of the matter is, she was probably abused in her late 20s uh, by Herman Elbers, and that created uh, Katerina. So not it's not completely unbelievable. I, I do still believe it. That's definitely still happens. And it's a real sad state of affairs. It's what it's like that. That's what really sets up Katarina for me as one of the most tragic characters in the show. Um, and I still believe that she is. And yeah, that's, that's just the way it is uh, for me. Right. Okay. So uh, next up, we are going to be uh, doing the last video segment of this, of this, uh, of, of, of this Dark Discussions episode. And make sure you pay attention because I do believe I'm the first person on the internet to say this, even if we've all kind of maybe thought it. But definitely, I'm going to explain my reasoning behind Claudia's two different color eyes. Why did the creators decide to give her that marker? Like they could have given her a scar, but they didn't. Okay, here it is. Throughout Dark, There's a variety of conditions and physical traits that they use to tie characters of different ages together. Some of the most notable being Celia's scar, Enos's mole, Jonas's scar, and of course, Claudia's two very different color eyes, one blue and one brown. A condition that is seemingly very common, apparently. I mean, after a quick Google search, I found Bill Pullman has it, Alice Eve has it, Dan Aykroyd really has it, and everyone's favorite superhero turned Witcher has it as well. So why then does Claudia have it? Why did they choose to give her two different color eyes rather than a scar like so many others? Well, obviously the first thing is that it looks cool. However, as with most things in Dark, scratch away a little bit at the surface and there's a plethora of meaning below it. In season three, Claudia does one of the most badass things I've ever seen a character do in film or TV. I'm talking way more badass than the briefcase scene in Collateral. I'm talking in a different badass stratosphere than Colin Firth's pub fight scene in Kingsman. Jake Sully riding Taruk? Not even close. I am of course talking about the moment Claudia killed herself. This moment has several thematic reasons. For instance, it's the ultimate portrayal of not letting anything stand in the way of your goals, not even yourself. Although, to me, This is the moment the creator's decision to give Claudia heterochromia iridum is revealed. From this point on, Claudia, our Claudia, the Claudia we've been following since the very beginning of Episode 3, Season 1. She exists in both Adam's world and Eva's world. She has an eye on each one. And before anyone comes in the comments and says maybe one of the actresses had the condition and they just gave the others that too, as if that negates all of my analysis, I checked. They don't. Well, there it is. I think she's got two different color eyes because she can see into both worlds. She's got her feet or her eyes in both worlds. Pretty sure that's the thematic reason for it. Now, moving on to next week. I've got a poll up right now. And thank you very much to Adam McCready who donated $10 to me. Thank you very much. And as you know, I said, if you want to donate to the show, the link's in the the description. All your donations would go to new lights, new cameras, 
I don't think we need new microphones because we've got fantastic microphones from people who donated to the podcast. But um, it will all improve the show. It would uh, it would be it would mean a lot to me. If you don't want to, that's absolutely fine. You can still vote on the on the uh, on the poll. Adam McCready donated ten dollars and he got his suggestion on the poll, which is the time machines. So first option is the time machines, and that'll be talking about all the different time machines in in. Uh, uh, in turn, we'll talk about like the Dark Matter machines. We'll talk about HG Tannhaus's machine that he made. We'll talk about the orb. We'll maybe try and talk about um, was there actually an order in, the, in which they were built? I know that there's a whole uh, idea of bootstrap paradoxes, but was there actually a method to the madness in terms of how they were built? Why did Noah build his time machine? Why did Noah kill those kids? That's what we're going to be talking about now. Then Parallels to Lost, that's up there because uh, Donnie starts, he uh, donated, and Don- and Parallels to Lost would be an interesting one. I, to be honest with you, I know Lost has a lot of issues, especially in the last few seasons, a lot, a lot of issues. I personally can still watch uh, my favorite episodes of Lost. Uh, the Constant, as I mentioned before, in season four of Lost is one of the best episodes of TV ever. If you don't agree with me, just go and watch that episode on its own, and I think it would hold up as its own short film. It's so good. Uh, anyway, so um, next up would be a chat with my mom because my mom is absolutely hilarious. She doesn't try to be, but she is. Uh, she watches so much TV uh, that she has no no room in her head to get it all in. Uh, she's a very capable, very clever woman, but unfortunately, in terms of remembering complicated TV shows like Dark, she doesn't really put the brain effort into it, so she doesn't. So I'm looking forward to having a chat with her. Uh, I, I said before, it, sometimes I ask, I ask her like you know just random stuff. You know, I'll say like, oh, well, can you explain? Can you explain to me uh, the guy who made the made the time machine? Uh, what's the, what's that about? And he'll be and he'll go, oh, who's he? A HB HB ten? Yeah, that's him. Yeah, so she's absolutely hilarious. I want to talk to her. Last one. My wife works in costume. She's worked on Game of Thrones. She's worked on other lots of other films. She's worked on a film that I can't talk about because it's coming out at some point next year, I think. But uh, she's she's uh, going to be uh, talking to me about all the costumes in Dark, what the themes are. Uh, there's already been a few people given a couple of their ideas in the comments. If you have some ideas about what the costumes mean and stuff and you want me to put those questions to my wife, then let me know. Uh, that'll be a great one as well. So there's the poll. Um, apart from that, we have finished this week make sure you subscribe to the channel if you want to see more episode six coming next week uh, make sure you subscribe also for the podcast uh, we also have this dark discussions i should have mentioned at the start is on audio app so if you want to listen to dark discussions you'd prefer to listen to it uh in the car or while you're cooking it's on audio apps so for, for podcast audio audio apps get it there um there's already at least 30 or 40 people doing that so that, that that will just grow that that part of the community as well uh this Thursday, I've got a uh, uh, video essay coming out, so look out for that. Apart from that, that's me for this week. Thanks very much for watching, guys. Make sure you get in the comments and join the conversation. See you later.